harlot. And you're going to see who that harlot is in just a few moments. As we have already kind of unpacked and identified who this particular power is, we're going to be looking in greater detail at what the Bible says. So my friends, what should we always do before we study? Let's pray, my friends, if you would reverently bow your heads. Father, I come to you in prayer once more because we know you're here with us right now. Your word promises us that where two or three are gathered in your name, there you are in the midst. And that's why I want to start this by saying, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we ask you to be in us. We ask you to come in and open our hearts, our minds, our ears, our eyes, Lord, that we may be completely responsive and, and receiving of this special message here this evening, Lord. This message is a very special message because we are going to be revealing, Lord, as you have given us the truth behind the second angel's message found in Revelation chapter 14. God, I pray that my words will not be spoken here this evening, but only the words of Jesus. Give me the words of Jesus, Lord, the actions and the character of Jesus, that we may present this, yes, with boldness, with truth, but Lord, also with compassion and with love. We praise you and we thank you forever, and we ask these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Dazed and confused by a harlot. Uh, we have previously studied, when we unpacked the many names of the Antichrist as found in the Bible, we saw that the Bible mentions this Antichrist figure in many different forms. And as we know that Jesus Christ, the true Christ, has many names that he goes by as found in the Bible. Also, the Antichrist of Bible prophecy is identified clearly uh, and throughout the Bible in many different forms and, and ways. And so we saw there, according to 1 John chapter 1, 1 and 2, we see very clearly that, of course, the Bible uses the direct word uh, or the direct title, Antichrist. And so we, we saw that very clearly. We also looked at the first beast as found in Revelation chapter 13, verses 1 through 10. We also saw the truth behind the man of sin and the son of perdition as found in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And of course, we spent a significant time looking at the details and the many identifications associated with the Antichrist in this little horn of Daniel chapter 7 and 8. Now tonight, uh, we are going to look again for a second time at this mystery Babylon as found in Revelation chapter 17 and 18. We have already identified who this harlot figure is as found in Revelation chapter 17 and 18. But tonight we're going to dive a little bit deeper and we're going to see the prophetic uh, uh, significance found behind this great power. I want to first begin by reviewing and reminding ourselves as to what the first angel's message is of Revelation chapter 14. Notice what it says in Revelation chapter 14 beginning with verses 6 and of course on to verse 7. It says, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, and here's the message, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment is come, and worship Him that made the heaven and the earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. Now, my friends, we are not through with the first angel's message, okay? I do, however, believe in presenting these in the correct order. And so uh, tonight we are going to kind of unpack and unfold uh, and reveal the truth behind the second angel's message, but we are by far not through with the first angel's message. Uh, for the purpose of this particular uh, uh, format in which I'm unfolding this, I'm not trying to go out of order from the three angel's messages, but rather I want to reveal something rather important in reference to the overall message found within the three angel's messages because we know that uh, these three angel's messages even though we like to refer to them as three separate messages, it's really three angels delivering one giant message to the last or to this world in the last days. And so, what we have just read is the first angel's message, and we are going to come back to that uh, tomorrow night uh, as well as also on Sunday night. But I want us to be reminded also that there are three angels' messages. Okay, even though it's one big message, there's a second important part to this great message that we find in Revelation. I want to read that now as to what we call the second angel's message. And it says in verse 8, notice what it says. 
And there followed another angel, another messenger, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she, notice the context clues, she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Now, before we go any further, I need us to understand something very clearly. I mentioned just a few moments ago, I believe that we should comprehend, we should understand, and we should respond to these messages in the correct order that God gave them. God sent these messages, this giant message to speak of, in a particular order. There's a reason why we call it the first angel's message, followed by the second angel's message, followed by, of course, the third angel's message. You see, there's a reason why God gives the second angel's message. There's a reason why He's warning the world and saying that Babylon has fallen, is fallen, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Don't miss that. We're going to talk about that wine tonight. She has made all nations drink of this wine of the wrath of her fornication. There's a reason why God finds it important to warn us that Babylon has fallen. Because tied to this Babylon is fallen message, we're going to read something at the end of this presentation tonight. It's a direct warning. In fact, it's a warning in which God is asking, He's declaring, He's commanding us to respond to this message in a particular way. But it's very interesting. You cannot respond positively to the second angel's message if you have not responded positively to the first angel's message. There's many people today thinking that they can somehow hack away and split up the first, second, and third angel's message of Revelation 14, and they try to misunderstand it. They try to, they try to comprehend it out of its particular order. My friends, there's a reason why God sent the first angel's message first. And there's a reason why God is warning the world that Babylon has fallen. Why has Babylon fallen? Have you ever thought about that? Why does Babylon fall in the last days? And we're going to identify who this Babylon character is. She has fallen because she did not respond positively to the first angel's message. Which tells us to fear God and give glory to Him for the hour of His judgment has come. It is come. It is upon us. And to worship Him who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. You see, you have to respond positively to that message before you can fully comprehend and respond on a positive level to the second angel's message. Babylon did not respond positively to the first angel's message. Babylon did not respond at all to the, to the first angel's message, but in a much negative way. And that's why we find that she, notice, she has fallen and has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Now what I want to do now is I want to go to Revelation 17 and 18 because the key word she there is obviously applying that it's talking about some woman. There is some woman that is known as Babylon, mystery Babylon as we're about to read. And we're going to find these in the opening verses of Revelation chapter 17. We won't be able to read the entire chapter this evening because there's lots and lots of great prophetic uh, uh, messages found within Revelation chapter 17. But we're going, to, we're going to study and we're going to pick apart the opening six verses of Revelation chapter 17 and of course the opening verses of Revelation chapter 18 for they are tied together. Notice what John sees in the opening verses of Revelation chapter 17. And there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials and talked with me saying unto me, Come hither and I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. Okay, we're going to properly identify who this whore is or this harlot is in just a few moments. But I want you to notice that it says she sits upon many waters. You see, we are to allow the Bible to interpret itself. I believe I've already said this in this seminar, but we need to be very clear on something. What does it mean in the Bible when we see there are many waters? What is the harlot sitting on in many waters when it says many waters? How do we determine this? Do we just think up something off the top of our head? Well, I think the waters are, I don't know. There's, there's a biblical scripture for this. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Revelation chapter 17. Notice we're in Revelation chapter 17. It is found in the same chapter. You don't have to look very far because the Bible makes it very, very, very clear. Revelation chapter 17, okay? 
All right, are we there? Get your Bibles open. All right, notice Revelation chapter 17, verse 15, and it makes it very clear to us what these waters are. It says, and he says unto me, the waters, notice, which you saw where the horse sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. Are we together so far? So what are these waters in which this whore is sitting? Obviously, she is, she is established, she has been created, she has come from, and now she is sitting, she is controlling these many, many nations, peoples, multitudes, languages, and tongues. Are we together so far? Okay, so now notice what verse 2 continues on to say about this harlot. With whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication. Okay, so as we have already established early on in this seminar, we notice that the, in, in Revela- according to uh, the Bible, here mentioned that this harlot has a special relationship with the leaders or the kings of the earth. We're talking about the prime ministers. We're talking about the presidents, the kings, the queens. All of these nations' leaders, we're finding, have a special, and, and it's a spiritual fornicative relationship that we find that she is having. Notice as it continues on, it says, and notice, the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of the wrath of her fornication, or excuse me, the wine of her fornication. And we're going to come back to this wine in just a few moments. But notice, has, have the inhabitants of the earth been much affected by this harlot? Okay, so it is, it's very, very important to make note of that, and we're going to talk about how they are affected in just a few moments. Verse 3 goes on to tell us, So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Do we see another beast uh, in the Bible with seven heads and ten horns? Where do we see that at? Okay, obviously, if you go back to Revelation chapter 13, the first beast of Revelation chapter 13 has seven heads and ten horns. So notice, what does a beast represent in Bible prophecy? What does the book of Daniel chapter 7 tell us on that? Okay, obviously, a beast represents kingdoms, nations, you know, all these significant powers that she controls. Now, I want you to notice what it says. Full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. So she's riding this beast. Now, I don't know about you, my friends. How many have have ever ridden a horse before? Okay, now, if you're riding a good trained horse, who controls that horse? Who's in, who's in control, the rider or the horse? Okay, technically, the rider is in control. So notice how she's riding this beast. She is in control of these nations. She, this woman, is in control of the nations and the significant powers of the world. Now notice what it goes on to say. Full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And it says, And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. So I want you to notice the, the automatically the, uh, the physical appearance of this woman. We've mentioned this already before, but it says here that she's arrayed in purple and scarlet color. So notice those particular two colors. She has purple, she has red. She's Notice she's also wearing the gold and the pearls and the jewels and the jewelry, the ornamental jewelry. It goes on to say very clearly, having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. Now this is where it gets interesting because he looks upon the head of this woman, notice what he sees. And upon her forehead was a name written Mystery Babylon the Great. Don't miss this one. The mother of what? Harlots. Okay. Is the mother harlot the only harlot? Ooh, don't miss it. Don't, don't miss this one, my friends. This is vitally important that we comprehend this. If she's the mother harlot, that must mean what? She has many, many little daughter harlots that have come from her. And we're going to come back to that in just a few moments as well. The mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman... Drunken with the blood of the saints. Now, if you're drunken with the blood of the saints, obviously this is a, a highly symbolic for the fact that we see all across the Bible from Daniel 7, Revelation 13, as well as right here in Revelation 17, that this is a highly persecutive power. Do we see this clearly? 
we see this very clearly that this woman is persecuting and has persecuted God's saints. For she is drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. Revelation 17 verse 6 says, And when I saw her, remember that John is in vision, so he's seeing her in vision. He says, When I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. My friends, he's not wondering uh, after her with great admiration in the sense that he likes this woman or that he's admiring her as some type of special valentine. He's in complete admiration. That means he's in complete shock. He's in complete wonder at the fact that uh, of very much what this woman represents. You see, John would have understood what a woman represents in Bible prophecy. You see, a woman represents a church in Bible prophecy. So as we have already clearly identified, this is not just some random woman. In the last days, we're not going to see some random woman riding some random you know, seven-headed beast with ten horns come up out of the literal sea, my friends. This is, this is highly symbolic language. It means something. And the Bible tells us here, if we allow the Bible to interpret itself, according to Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 2, and we're going to unpack this a little bit more tomorrow when we talk about a woman and in relation to Israel and also in relation to God's last day church, it makes it very clear that he says, I have likened the daughter of Zion to a comely and delicate woman. God's people is likened unto a woman in Bible prophecy. Do we see that very clearly? Also, Paul clearly alludes to this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2, when he says, For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to what? Help me out here. What, what, what does he say? To one husband, notice, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to who? To Jesus Christ. So notice, Jesus Christ is the husbandman. Of course, he is the, uh, as the Bible would say it, he is the bridegroom. And of course, who is the bride of Christ according to the Bible? Okay, according to the Bible, it, it, we're going to see a scripture also that mentions the city of God. But the city of God, as well as the people that are within the city, the people are God's special bride. And notice how a woman in Bible prophecy is likened into a church. Okay, so... This is a false church system that we're studying, my friends. This is not the established church of God. This is not God's remnant church that He establishes. We know, as we have clearly identified, this fits all of the identifications of none other than the Roman papal church state. Are we together so far? Okay, and there's, there's really no way around this. I mean, think about it. It's a woman that wears purple and scarlet colors. She's decked with gold and precious stones and pearls. I mean, when you look at the hierarchy of this, of this uh, very, very much influential Roman papal system, you know that this, they, their special coloring, their special apparel is none other than that of the colors of red and that of purple as well as the, they wear the jewels and the stones and, and the gold and the silver and all of those things. Now, I find this to be very interesting because if you ask any Catholic priest or anyone within the Catholic Church, they're going to tell you that the Catholic priesthood is the original priesthood carried over from the Bible. Now, there's a reason why I'm mentioning this. Because when you're talking about the hierarchy of the church in which they, they're the priesthood, that is the cardinals, the bishops, the, the priests themselves, uh, the monks, all of these people wear these specific colors and, and they, they are the leadership or the representatives of this system. And if you ask any Catholic Christian today uh, if they are the original priesthood of God from the Bible, they're going to strongly agree and say, yes, I believe that the Catholic priesthood is the original continuance of God's established priesthood of the Bible. Now, the reason why I'm mentioning this is because when you go back and study the priesthood of the Bible, that is what, the, what God told his, his priests to wear, and even as well as the children of Israel. Many of these colors were to be found on the children of Israel's garments as well. But if you look at the garments of the priesthood found within the Bible, you will notice that they have four colors rather than just three. Now, if you notice the Catholic priesthood, they're wearing the colors of red, okay, purple, and gold. Okay, And, of course, they have the jewels and all this thing going on. But if you look at the priesthood of the Bible, there is a fourth added color that you will not see the Catholic priest wearing. What color is that? Blue. Okay. Now, the reason why I'm mentioning this is because these colors represent something very, very much strongly in the Bible. 
Uh, it's not like God is trying to share with us his, uh, his, his fashion ideas or His particular colors that He likes. These colors represented something. And just as there is, you will not find blue on the garments of these priests, you will see the purple, you will see the red, you will see the gold and the silver and the stones and all the things that you see there mentioned in Revelation 17, but you will not find the color blue within the garments of this priesthood. I wonder why that is. Because the blue represents something very, very important in the Bible. I'm going to take you there now. If you go to Numbers chapter 15, beginning with verse 37, I want you to notice what it says here. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, this is when God tells Moses and instructs him on what the children of Israel, as well as the priesthood, should wear as, as, as a, a particular color on the fringe of their garments. Notice what he says. Speak unto the children of Israel and bid them that they make them fringes in the borders of their garments throughout their generations and that they put upon the fringe of the borders a ribbon of what? A ribbon of blue. Now what does that blue represent? Notice what it says in verse 39. And it shall be unto you for a fringe that you may look upon it and remember what? All the commandments of the Lord. So notice here very clearly that God tells the children of Israel, I want you to make sure that you put some type of blue on the fringes on the borders of your garments because when you look at this blue, what should it remind you of? All of the commandments of the Lord. But notice what he says here. And he wants them to do them. He wants to not to just remember the commandments, but to do them that you seek not after your own heart and your own eyes. And don't miss this next part after which you used to go a-whoring. Now my friends, don't miss this. You see, for years I read Revelation 17 and I thought to myself, Lord, why in the world do you depict this particular false church, this counterfeit church? Why do you depict them as this, you know, this harlot figure, this whore-like figure? In fact, in the Bible you call her a whore. Why, Lord? As I begin to dig, it made perfect sense. You see, in the Bible, before this was ever given to John on the island of Patmos, before he ever saw the vision of this harlot, God mentioned to the children of Israel, He said, when you keep my commandments, you can be my peculiar people. You are my people. You will be that special group of people unto me when you obey my voice and keep my covenant. But when they did not obey the voice of God, when they did not keep the covenant of God, when they did not keep the commandments of God, what did God liken that to? He says, when you do, he says, if you go after your own heart and after your own eyes, then it is that you are going a whoring. He sees that as spiritual harlotry. And so there's no wonder why within the very depiction, in the very essence of this character that we find in Revelation 17 and 18, it is no wonder that we find there that God shows us a harlot because we see a false church system that calls themselves by the name of Jesus, but does not live and obey and live according to the commands of Jesus, which the Bible makes it very clear. You see, my friends, does God want us to keep His commandments? Does the keeping of the commandments save us? Absolutely not. Jesus Christ is the only one that can save us. But we keep His commandments because the Savior has saved us and because we love Him. Amen? Amen. We keep His commandments because we are his people, we have the patience of the saints, which are to keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus, which we will come to tomorrow or, or Sunday. Now the golden cup of wine in her hand can none other represent than that of the intoxication of false doctrines. Now think about it. If this is a church, and it says that this woman has made the world drunk with the wine of her fornication. How in the world does a church make someone drunk? Think about it. When you come to church, what do you hear? Or what are you supposed to hear? You're supposed to hear the preaching of the true Word of God. You're supposed to hear the bread 
of life given to us freely from that of the Word of God. But see, this harlot is not a system that follows the commands, nor does it communicate the rightful will of God as found in the Bible. This is a counterfeit system. This is a system that does not obey God. And it does not itself just obey God. It also teaches others to not obey God. Therefore, do we live in a world today where the majority even of the Christian world believes and teaches that the commandments are nailed to the cross and that we don't have to obey God according to those commandments anymore? Do we, do we know that, there's, that we live in a world like that, my friends? We live in a world today where that is very real. That is the very situation. Now, it doesn't start there because, or it doesn't stop there because there are many, many different aspects of the gospel and the many doctrinal teachings as found within the truth of God's word that this power uh, distributes as an intoxicating wine. Now, if we were to just, you know, just consider a few of them across the board, and by the way, I'm not able to mention all of them tonight because we would be here for some time, but I do want to mention a few as to, you know, let's compare what the Word of God says and what this harlot Catholic papal system teaches. Now, when you look at the Bible, the Bible teaches us, according to the second commandment, that we should not worship idols. There should be no idol worship. That's why Jesus said, do not bow down to any graven images. Do not worship any idols. But notice, when you go into a Catholic cathedral today, you will see that they believe and very much uh, proclaim the worshiping and the praying to statues, because they believe that those statues are the dead saints. That's why when I, I told you the story, when I went to St. Louis, Louis Catholic Cathedral, I saw many people coming in and they were praying and they were doing their little, you know, crucifix type thing, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and they were kissing the feet of these statues. Jesus forbids that. The commandments of God forbid that, my friends. Notice the Bible teaches that all mankind have sinned, but the Catholic Church teaches that Mary was also sinless. The Bible teaches that Christ alone is mediator between God and man. But of course, the Catholic Church teaches that Mary, as well as the dead saints, are also co-mediators with God. Jesus died on the cross once for all. That's what the Bible teaches. He died on the cross once for all. But of course, the Catholic Church teaches that every Mass, Christ is literally re-crucified within the Eucharist or the celebration of the, uh, what is known as the transubstantiation. That is, when they hold that little cracker, uh, that little sun-shaped cracker, uh, that little sun-shaped uh, little piece of cracker there, and when they break that cracker to take communion every Mass, they literally believe within that, that communication of the transubstantiation that that is the literal broken body of the crucified body of Jesus Christ. That is not biblical. The Bible teaches that we are all saints and heirs of God if we believe on Him. But of course, uh, the Catholic Church teaches that saints and priests are a special group of people and not all can be called that. The Bible teaches that we can all have eternal life if we put our trust in Jesus. But of course, uh, the Catholic Church teaches that all should not know of eternal life. This is found clearly in their documentation. The Bible teaches to call no man father in the sense of a spiritual father. Obviously, our earthly fathers that uh, we might call father or dad or pop or however you want to call them. The Bible makes it very clear that you call no man a spiritual father. But of course... In the Catholic Church, they call priests and popes Father, of which Jesus made it very clear not to do so. The Bible teaches to do not, he said, right there in the Bible, Jesus says, do not pray in vain repetition. That is, vainly repeat in, in, the, in, the, in, in mantras and Hail Marys and our fathers and all these different things that we see going on in this Catholic system. The Bible makes it very clear to not pray in vain repetition. But of course, they do teach to pray in repetition and mantras. The Bible teaches that only God can forgive sins. But of course, in the Catholic Church, they teach, obviously, that you need to confess your sins to a priest. The Bible teaches very clearly that the dead sleep and are awaiting the resurrection. But of course, the Catholic Church teaches that everyone has an immortal soul. The Bible teaches that man shall not live, or excuse me, man shall live by the word of God alone. But of course, the Catholic Church teaches that the Catholic traditions are above the Bible. 
The Bible teaches that salvation comes only through Jesus Christ. But of course, the Catholic Church teaches that salvation comes through the church. If you're not a member or an active member of the Catholic Church, then you are not saved, for salvation comes through the church. And I don't want to stop there because we have clearly saw through this seminar, my friends, through false teachings such as the secret silent rapture. Where in the world did that come from? If you chase back its roots and where such a concept was created, guess where it finds its roots? Within this Catholic system, within this false counterfeit system. The Bible teaches us very clearly that we are to observe and keep all of the commandments of God. That we are to uphold the law of God, not because it saves us, but because we love Jesus. And within that law is found the direct character of Jesus Christ. But look at this false system of worship as found in Revelation 17. They do not wear the blue. They do not keep the commandments. In fact, we saw, whereas according to Daniel chapter 7, verse 25, that they attempted to change God's law. And can you change the law of God? You cannot change the law of God. Even within the Sabbath, we saw this very clearly. Has this particular power tried and attempted to do away with the Bible Sabbath? Okay? But have they done away with the Bible Sabbath? No, there is still a people who are of the Scripture, who are of the book and of the Bible, and believe in putting their trust in Jesus and keeping all of His Ten Commandments, not just nine of the Ten Commandments, as we see clearly in the world today, not just the mother church, but many of the little harlot daughter churches. Do not keep all of God's commandments, nor uphold the fourth commandment as found in the Sabbath. Even with the concept of death, as we have learned in this seminar, when you chase back the Christian origin or the Christian idea of, of understanding this death topic, that the Bible clearly presents that, presents that when a person dies, they sleep and await the resurrection of Jesus. But of course, the Catholic Church in its original teachings teach this mystic view of an immortal soul that when a person dies, it's not the end. The soul or the spirit, as they falsely proclaim, continues on to live for all eternity. In other words, they communicate an immortal soul. And which, by the way, most of the even Protestant churches today believe this false concept. Where did they get such a teaching? Where do you find its origins from within the Christian church? It goes all the way back to the mother harlot system. What about the modern view within most of Christianity on hell? We saw clearly the other night that the Bible teaches that while there is a true place of burning, while there will be a burning of the wicked and a judgment upon those who do not accept Jesus, we know clearly that the Bible presents it as an event that happens within one day at the end of the world, that is at the end of the 1,000 year millennium, 1,000 years after Jesus Christ returns to get His people. The Bible makes this so clear. And that there's not, it's not something that's going to, in the literal modern understanding, go on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, in which the person never really dies, but continues, continues on living forever in eternal torment. The Bible does not communicate as such thing when you truly study it. But where does such a teaching, where does such an idea of this eternal torment of hell, fire, come from that destroys and slaps God in the face and His character is distorted in the minds of the average person today? Because of such a teaching, it goes back to this mother harlot system. My friends, are we catching a glimpse? Are we catching a glimpse as to why the Bible tells us in Revelation 17 that the world, the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with her intoxicating wine? Do we see this? And here's, the, here's what's interesting. We're going to come back to this in just a few moments. Here's what's interesting. Many of us think well, because I'm not Catholic or I'm not a member of the Catholic Church, I'm not a part of Babylon or I, I'm not drunk with the wine of Babylon. If you believe the teachings of the Mother Church and you are continuing to believe and proclaim faith in such teachings that are flawed, then yes, you have been made and are continuing to be drunk on this wine, my friends. You know, there's one other teaching that we haven't talked about that most people don't consider. And that is the biblical method of baptism. You see, in the Bible, there's only one type of baptism presented. But in the year 1311 
at the famously known Council of Ravenna. If you do your historical research on this, you will find at the Council of Ravenna in the year 1311 A.D., the Catholic Church declared and made it a decree that baptism would be switched from complete immersion to infusion. That is, the sprinkling and pouring. And not only did they just adopt this method of just sprinkling and pouring, they would eventually settle on a non-biblical tradition in which they began to teach the people of the church that if uh, that when you have a new baby, when that baby is born, you need to as soon as possible make sure that you bring that baby to the church and that it is sprinkled or poured or baptized very soon. For if that little innocent baby was to die before it was baptized, it would be subject to the second death as mentioned in Revelation chapter 20 and 21. My friends, are we understanding this clearly? You see, in the Bible, the Bible makes it very clear that there's one Lord, one faith, and 20 million baptisms, right? How many baptisms? One baptism. I don't know about you, my friends, but which baptism should we be baptized with? I want to follow the example of Jesus. What do you say? How about the baptism that Jesus was baptized with? You know, if you read the Bible very clearly, the Bible tells us in Mark chapter 1, verse 9 and 10, it says, It came to pass in those days that Jesus was baptized by John in the Jordan. And verse 10 tells us, And immediately coming up from the water. If He was coming up from the water, my friends, where was He? He was down in that water. That means He was completely immersed. You know, and that would make sense because even though baptism is very symbolic, we know that the act of immersion in taking the person under the water, as God commanded and as God shown forth as an example, you are also seeing, and likewise, that when we are buried in that watery grave, the old man is symbolically buried behind. Just as Jesus Christ died and buried the sins of the world, He would lay and rest in the tomb, but three days later we know that He would resurrect as Lord and Savior. And so, when you go down into that watery grave, my friends, all of your sins, all of that old man, all of that old past life is buried in that watery grave. But when you come up out of that water, praise the Lord, you are resurrected a new person in Jesus, just as Jesus Himself was resurrected. Isn't that good news? Amen. Now I want to go back to something. It says, Upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon, the Great. The what? The mother of harlots. You see, there's, as I said earlier, there's this common misconception that if I'm not a member, a direct member of the Catholic Church, then, then I'm not in Babylon, or I'm not a part of Babylon. But my friends, where do you think all of these little harlot daughters came from? They came from the mother harlot. Who are all of these harlot daughters, and what makes them to be considered a harlot? Think about it. You see, there's an event known in history as the Protestant Reformation in which many people begin to go back to the Bible and they begin to see that the mother system at the time was not following the Bible. And a German monk at the time by the name of Martin Luther found 95 points of protest, which would popularly become known as the 95 Theses. And he would go to the church in Germany found in Wittenberg, and he would nail these 95 points of protest to the doors of the church in Germany, and therefore would launch us into what was known, popularly known in history as the Protestant Reformation. You see, Christians begin to go back to the Bible. They begin to realize that the Bible should be their only rule of faith and not the church traditions. And because of this, it caused such a shaking in this mother church known as the Catholic Church. And before you know it, there was a church known as the Lutheran Church, which came after this German monk known as Martin Luther. And before you know it, a man by the name of John Calvin would, would, uh, would foundationalize a church known as the Presbyterian Movement. 
Because they believed in following the truths of the Bible. Even though they did have disagreements and they did disagree on certain doctrinal issues, they tried to go back to the Bible with all of the light that they had known and seen at that time. But you see, over a period of time, all of these different denominations and churches begin to formulate who were pulling and coming out of this Catholic system. And over a long period of time, originally, those Protestant churches fell further and further and further away from the original councils of the Bible in which they had staked their faith on in the beginning. So much that in the Bible we see that even Jesus Himself refers to these many churches as harlots. Why? Well, what, what does God consider a harlot? What, why does He consider you a spiritual harlot? Because you do not uphold and keep the commandments of God. I'm going to be giving you my testimony in a few nights, and I'll tell you a large part of my testimony is jumping from church to church to church, looking and truly seeking for a people who go by the Bible. And I found a common theme that while there is a lot of truth taught in many of these churches, there's also a lot of error. Many of the errors that we just listed are taught in many of these harlot little daughter churches. They claim to be protesting the mother church based on the Bible. But many of them have fallen so spiritually complacent away from Jesus and away from the Bible that now... Jesus considers them harlots. My friends, in closing, I want us to see something very clearly. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn me to Revelation chapter 18. Revelation, what chapter? Chapter 18. I want us to read this directly from our Bibles and I want us to see this very, very clearly. Because the second angel's message is continued in the first opening verses of Revelation chapter 18. You see, God is calling for us to respond today. Not just to the first angel's message, but also to the second angel's message. You will see there it begins in verse 1 by saying, And after these things I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Uh-oh, where do we see these words? Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen. Where do we find those words, my friends? Second angel's message, Revelation chapter 14, verse 8. Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of what? Devils. And don't miss this. And the hold of every foul spirit, and the cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Verse 3 says, For all nations, notice how it's repeated, all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich with the abundance of her delicacies. But verse 4, my friends, is what I want you to focus on this evening. Notice what verse 4 says very, very clearly. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, what does it say? Come out of her, my people. Does God have people in Babylon? Does He want them to remain in Babylon? He wants them to come out, my friends. That's why we find here very clearly it says, Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins, and that you receive not of her plagues. You see, in a few nights I'm going to take on a topic entitled Armageddon and the Plagues. You see, it's the, it's the last final great tribulation that will fall upon this planet before Jesus comes. You see, Jesus sends us a warning in the second angel's message. He says, please come out, my people. Please come out of her, my children. Come out of Babylon. That you, notice, be not partakers of her sins, 
That's what's gotten her in this fallen state anyways. But then notice the judgment aspect. That you receive not of her plagues. You see, my friends, Jesus is coming soon. And as I mentioned before, He's coming back for a whole wheat people. He's coming back for a people who responded positively to the three angels' messages. There may be again someone here tonight saying, well, whew, whew, praise the Lord, Ryan, that, that I'm not a member of that particular Catholic system. My friends, I can tell you, and again, this is, do you see my teeth? Do you see me smiling? I'm taking, I'm taking one out of my uh, good friend uh, Dan Gerard's book. He always says, see my teeth? I'm smiling. Not to be critical or judgmental, my friends, but to be very truthful. You see, many people have this aspect that just because I'm a member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church or just because I'm a member of God's remnant church of the last days, well, I'm not a part of Babylon. You see, I found many people, my friends, because the Bible says you will know them by their fruits. There are many people whose names are written upon the books of the remnant church, but their hearts and their minds are still in Babylon. My friends, Jesus is calling us to come out. I don't know about you guys, but, but I don't read this in such a way that I hear Jesus screaming this or, or in an angry way saying, come out, come out. But rather, I, I see a loving, compassionate, patient God. Perhaps with tears. Who's saying, please my children, come out. Come out of her while you have a chance. You see, today we can come out of Babylon. Some might say, well, Ryan, it's a process. No, it's not. You see, back in literal, the literal days of ancient Babylon, God literally called His people who were in literal Babylon, He called them out. Many of his people came out of Babylon and went back to Jerusalem. But many of the people who had been there for that period of 70 years of captivity, they had become so relaxed and complacent with the Babylonian lifestyle, eating the Babylonian food, wearing and looking and dressing like the Babylonians, listening to the Babylonian music, living according to the Babylonian lifestyle. They didn't want to come out. My friends, God is also calling us out today. You see, there's a song that I sing. It's entitled, With All My Heart. Some of you may recognize the words, but it's a beautiful song because it tells us that we should serve God with all our heart. And I love the words. It says, uh, In this quiet place with you, I bow before your throne. I bear the deepest part of me to you and you alone. I like this next one. I keep no secrets for there is no thought you have not known. I bring my best and all the rest to you and lay them down. And the second verse says, very clearly, it says, I'm starting to think here, I almost had it. You faithfully supply my needs according to your plan. So help me, Lord, to seek your face 
before I seek your hand and trust you know what's best for me when I don't understand. And then it says, then follow in obedience in every circumstance. And the chorus says, with all my heart, I want to love you, Lord, and live my life each day to know you more. All that is in me is yours completely. I'll serve you only with all my heart. You see, to come out of Babylon means you want to serve Him with all your heart. You want to live for Him with all of your very existence. If there's someone in this room that desires to come out of Babylon this evening, my friends, I ask you to stand with me as we prepare to close this evening. You see, tomorrow morning, my friends, at 11 o'clock, we're going to be presenting Beauty and the Beast. You see, God is calling us out of Babylon, but if He's going to call us out of Babylon, wouldn't He call us into something? If He's going to bring us out of Babylon, is He going to lead us somewhere else? You see, there's another woman presented in Revelation chapter 12. She's known as the pure woman. We're going to talk about her tomorrow morning. We're going to talk about God's true last day remnant church in the morning at 11 o'clock. And of course, tomorrow evening, 6 o'clock, we have the, the, the dinner, the meal. And then at 6.30, we're going to be unpacking the truth in regards to the mark of the beast. Are you guys learning something this evening, my friends? Are you learning something in this seminar? I pray and hope as we continue through that we'll be, we will be led to Jesus Christ and we will respond to the counsels of the Word of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Daniel at this time. Thank you, Pastor Ryan, for that powerful message. We'll see you all tomorrow morning at 1045 for our worship service. That's when we begin. Let me dismiss you with a benediction. Be strong and be courageous. Do not fear nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Amen and amen. God bless you all.